Hi, this is Dave Coulier, and you're listening to P.S. Tape Recorder. Okay, let's rewind. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Bob Marley. And yes, sometimes it does cause confusion. And recently we just went to... Um Jamaica, my wife and I went, and I made a point to do jokes about Bob Marley in my act. You, you, when you go out to dinner, you have to give him your name. He goes, and then, of course, they want to smoke marijuana with you. We'll hear more from Bob in just a little bit. We have a new feature called A Broken Clock is Right Twice a Day, or something like that. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Over the past few months, the U.S. education standard known as Common Core has attracted its fair share of negative attention by opponents, but Florida Republican State Representative Charles Van Zant took the Common Core critique to a new level by claiming that the educational initiative promoted by the Obama administration will turn your children homosexual. Van Zant made the comments at an Orlando education conference back in March, inadvertently stressing the need for more improved education in this country. President Obama's daughter, Malia, shares a birthday with our great nation. On July 4th, she'll be 16, and that means she's eligible for a learner's permit in Washington, D.C. Malia's mother told Access Hollywood, of course, they love those liberal Hollywood types, that driving was among her daughter's first summer plans. The president's position, if she drives into a ditch, is that she'll be the best person to drive herself out. Global warming is one giant climate change hoax that's being promoted by unpatriotic racists who are just trying to line their own pockets, according to Pat Sajak, famous host of the Wheel of Fortune TV game show. Sajak is right, of course. Global warming is a hoax concocted by scientists who want to be rich and famous. Guys like Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I could go on and on if there were any more scientists who were rich and famous. Minneapolis was awarded the 2018 Super Bowl game after a vote by owners rewarded the city for its new stadium deal. The owners chose Minneapolis and the $1 billion stadium plan for the site of the old Metrodome to host the championship over New Orleans and Indianapolis. In large part, it was due to recognition of the great work they've done on the stadium, Commissioner Roger Goodell noted. He also noted that they'd hold the game in Baghdad if they'd build them a new stadium. The principal of a Catholic elementary school in suburban Philadelphia is apologizing to parents for having used a photo of celebrity Ellen DeGeneres on an invitation to an Oscar-themed graduation dance. St. Andrew Elementary School principal Nancy Mateo wrote in an email to parents Tuesday that using the photo was completely wrong because DeGeneres lives her lifestyle outside the teachings of the Catholic Church, pretty much like most Catholics. And finally, aliens almost definitely exist. At least that's what two astronomers told Congress this week as they appealed for continued funding to research life beyond Earth. According to ABC News, Dan Wertmeyer, director of the SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Research Center at the University of California, Berkeley, told the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology Wednesday that the possibility of extraterrestrial microbial life is close to 100%. Several, commerce, several congressmen balked at the notion, noting that it was chilly this past spring. And that's been Fake News with me. Time now for a new segment called Even a Broken Clock is Right Twice a Day. 
The first subject of this new segment is our favorite conservative website, Newsbusters, who in fact uh, don't even come close to the broken clock's batting average uh, of being right twice a day. But they managed to drop a single into left this past week. Uh, Buster Tim Graham came across a blog post on the NPR website Code Switch. Now, I'm a big NPR listener. I have never heard of Code Switch. It's not tied to a show on NPR. It's just buried somewhere on the NPR website. So uh, Mr. Graham must have a Google alert set for the keywords racism and then like NPR and MSNBC and, and so on because he found this obscure, though admittedly silly post and raced to the Newsbusters computers to dispatch his findings in an article titled NPR warns your ice cream truck may be irredeemably racist. That's the Newsbusters post. Okay. So the title of the blog post on the NPR site is called Recall That Ice Cream Truck Song? We Have Unpleasant News For You. Now, I'm not even sure what the ice cream truck song is, but uh, the gentleman who wrote the piece goes on to explain. Uh, The gentleman who wrote it is named Theodore Johnson III. He came across a song called N-Word Loves a Watermelon while researching racial stereotypes, and he almost didn't listen to it, he explained, because the title, you know, pretty much says it all. But I guess his curiosity got the best of him, and he listened to it. And uh, here, I'll play the first few bars here before the vocal starts. Okay, recognize it? Turkey in the Straw, right? Well, Mr. Johnson remembers it was the song Ice Cream Trucks used to play, and immediately his fond childhood memories of getting ice cream were ruined because he's already associating it with this hideously racist song. Now, as a funny aside, uh, Newsbusters Graham notes that Mr. Johnson says unscientifically that not all ice cream trucks play this tune. And that's his problem with the piece. Not the shaky logic of the piece, which you know we're about to explore, but the unscientific analysis of the ice cream truck playlists. Again, Newsbusters, people who don't like science, using signs to prove a point. Okay, so I'm thinking, wow, Turkey in the Straw must be derived from this hideously racist uh, minstrel song. Nope, Turkey in the Straw was first, and that in turn was based on an old Irish song called The Old Rose Tree. Now, concurrent to Turkey in the Straw, there was another song in the early 1800s to the same tune called Zip Coon, which was uh, almost, but not quite, as uh, hideously racist as N-Word Loves a Watermelon. <laughs> They're probably thinking, like, hey, how could we top that? We like Zip Coon a lot, but can we make it like even worse? Anyway, uh, Turkey in the Straw uh, won out in in terms of popular recognition over the years. So, I mean, everybody knows that as Turkey in the Straw. So I was confused. I thought, well, okay, I'm missing something. Most people know that tune as Turkey in the Straw, my daughter's high school marching band. Uh, Wacko's 50 State Song from the cartoon Animaniacs. Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Columbus is the capital of Ohio. There's Montgomery, Alabama, south of Helena, Montana, then there's Denver, Colorado, and the boys... So just because some knucklehead also put horrendously racist words to the tune doesn't mean that that's the tune. And it's almost comically racist, as in really, that existed at one point? Like, people were really okay with this, playing this song? Uh, But I guess in the early 20th century, uh, people were down with it. So uh, anyway, Mr. Johnson argues that the 20th century ice cream parlors played minstrel songs like Edward Loves a Watermelon, and when ice cream trucks appeared after World War II, the music chosen for the vehicles was based on what was played in the ice cream parlors of the previous generation. 
Well, maybe, but the song is still Turkey in the Straw. And Mr. Johnson notes here, he addresses that, the first and natural inclination, of course, is to assume that the ice cream truck song is simply playing homage to Turkey in the Straw, but the melody reached the nation only after it was appropriated by traveling black-based minstrel shows. There's simply no divorcing the song from the dozens of decades it was almost exclusively used for coming up with new ways to ridicule and profit from black people. Now, the New Republic, I discovered while researching this, also pointed out this is this is a questionable connection. Yes, that New Republic said that the NPR guy was was, was off the mark. Okay, so but, but it's still turkey in the straw. It's kind of like saying you can't listen to the Star Spangled Banner without thinking about an alcoholic friend or relative because that song is based on an English drinking song, or Jingle Bells is ruined because all you can think about now is a B.O. challenged Dark Knight and his ward excreting an egg from his private regions. The larger point here, and Bill Maher has addressed this on occasion, is that this is something that just makes liberals look foolish, particularly when there's actual racism out there, and we played the montage a few weeks back, the birth certificate, the food stamp president, Ted Nugent calling the president a mongrel, okay? But, but let's not get silly, because that minimizes the actual instances of racism that are still out there, and distracts us from the real issues, of course, uh, when it comes to race and music. Uh, Mr. O'Reilly? Now, I submit to you that you're going to have to get people like Jay-Z... All right, Kanye West, all of these gangster rappers to knock it off. Yeah, stop being a successful entrepreneur and marrying your baby mama and staying married to her and buying a basketball team. Well, you know, sometimes the clock is never right. Bob Marley is a comedian who hails from the state of Maine, and no, his parents didn't know there was a reggae star named Bob Marley. He explains that and more in our interview. Hey, joining hey. us. Uh, okay, joining us on PS Tape Recorder, it's comedian Bob Marley. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Uh, so I'm I... sitting in a hotel room in Buffalo right now. Oh, no. We're going up to Buffalo. We're going to shuffle off there in uh, three weeks to see Vampire Weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm up here um, uh, for the week hanging out, and it's, uh, I think it's like 41 degrees out. It is uh, only 60 here in Cincinnati, so um, we're not doing much better. <laughs> it's been an awful year, man. It was so cold, and I live yeah. in Maine, as you know. I was so, going to say, yeah. I mean, we... We were, um, man, it, it, even in March it was cold. One, at one, one day it was minus 26, and that was the day my wife decided to get the car washed. <laughs> uh, now, but aren't you used to it, though? Because I know the people that live up, up in Minnesota, I've only been there once in the airport for an hour, actually, even though I write for the paper up there. Um, I mean, yeah. they, they assure me that they get used to it, but I don't think I ever could. Oh, yeah, no. Well, you do get used to it, but there's like, you know, she got excited because it was March. She thought, oh, just because the car went on. You can't wash it when it's minus 26. Even I know that. It's like, I only know a few things, you know, like never take a suppository and a sleeping pill on the same night. <laughs> that that never ends well no. for anybody involved and, and never get the car wash if it's minus 26. <laughs> All right. So, um, so, so what else is new with you besides being in Buffalo? Because it's been a while since we spoke. Oh boy, I've just been touring and uh, writing a ton, and um, I have a new album out. It's called Traveling Hooligan. It's a two CD set that just came out uh, at Christmas time, and um, 
Yeah, so I've just been uh, working and uh, telling jokes, man. It's a blast. I love it. There you go. You're living the dream, as they say. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're keeping me busy. I go here, and then I go to um, Oregon next, and then uh, Edmonton. You ever been to Edmonton, Canada? No, but, uh, God, who was it was telling me this? One of the comedians, he plays both. um, He was playing Bronson's Club up there in Edmonton and then coming down to Minnesota, and he said that he he was... he was came out of the club and wanted to go to the restaurant across the street. He called a cab to pick him up and take him around <laughs> to the to do a U-turn in the street and drop him off in front of the restaurant. I can't remember who that was who told me that, but that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, you know, it stays light out up there till like eleven o'clock at night. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I know that from Second City because they did a, a film. Uh, where these two bumpkins, uh, it was a spoof of Canadian films, and these guys, they, they were going to go to Edmonton and hang out on Jasper Avenue because it stays, it stays light till midnight, eh? Yeah, it's really strange. I came out, and I was like, after the first night, the first show, I came out around 11 o'clock, and I was like looking around, and this guy must have seen the expression on my face because he's like, oh, I've never been up there before. Huh? I go, no, and he goes, yeah, it stays light out till about 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, oh, okay. No wonder you guys are so good at hockey. You got an extra five hours of practice. That's true. Yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> it's unbelievable. What, do you do but, anything? Uh, yeah, so, so I go there, and then I come to Minneapolis. Uh, to the, to the club there, um, which I'm looking forward to. That should be a blast. Cool. And I know you've been down to Cincinnati before. Haven't you played the Funny Bone here across the, uh, across the river from? On the levee. Yeah. Yeah, Cincinnati. There you I go. I called it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say when, uh, years ago when people were still smoking at the club, and um, and I was like, wow, man, these people are lighting it up. I, I, I thought I, I coughed up a briquette at one point. <laughs> It's just crazy. Yeah, it's pretty. But uh, yeah, none cool. of that anymore. So, yeah, they're um, they're keeping me busy though. I'm loving it, man. It's a blast. There you go. Any other projects you're working on uh, apart from touring, or you're building a new hour? No, I did a pilot with Jim Brewer for a show uh, called A Comics Tale, and I don't know where it's at, what's happening. Um, and it's it's Jim's show. Jim Brewer uh, yeah. produced it, and um, so uh. It, yeah, so uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen and stuff like that. So it's just he, his company produced it, so okay. he's shopping that around, and so we'll see what happens with that. And then, um, uh, yeah, other than that, no, just just uh, just touring and and writing jokes and doing it, which I love, you know. Yeah, the blast. Now, are you still based in Maine, or do you live in New York City or L.A.? Or you yeah, I'm, I'm based in Maine, which is a, okay. co- a comedy hotspot. That's that's where all the well, scouts are. Uh, do you know um, Justin McKinney? Is, do you... I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I haven't seen him for a while, but I, he's in, actually in New Hampshire. So um, we started together, and, and it's funny because once you become a headliner, you never see the other people that you... Uh, that you started with because they, they are all headlining as well. So yeah. kind of uh, kind of a bummer, but um, but yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's funny. Um, so l- I know you told me this back for the for the print interview years ago, but uh, for the benefit of the podcast listener, um, as I recall, you were started doing stand up in college, but then kind of just kept doing it and didn't really go on to a different vocation. Was that, is that do I remember that correctly? Yeah, I never I never had a job. Or I had jobs in college. You know, and, and like I took a year off in between. I, I worked at a vending company and I would drive around and deliver candy to machines. These all these different candy machines. And so I had one, one account at a frozen, uh, a frozen food chicken factory. And, uh, it was all Vietnamese people. And so I would walk into the break room and it was like 
you know, Rambo coming into the village. There was like 30 <laughs> Vietnamese people going, Candyman, 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 <laughs> all like running towards me. And then like the, the, the sea would part and there'd be a lady at the end, the lady that I would actually owe money to if the machine screwed up. And she's like, Candyman, <laughs> you owe me $2 and 25 cents and no more little Debbie snack cakes. <laughs> we don't want them. So of course I'd, you know, I'm a comedian, so I'd wait for them to leave. And then, I would load it up with little Debbie snack cakes. There you go. Yeah, you tell them <laughs> yeah, not so to do was, something. That was a fun job. I did that, and then, um, but no, I never had another job after I started doing stand up. I, I was lucky with it. You know, I, I really hustled in the beginning, and uh, and then just kind of kept going. So, well, what did you major yeah. in at college? What was what was the? I was a community health major, so I was going to be a health teacher or work for like the state health department or something along those lines. You know, uh-huh. but um. Uh, that never panned out. When I told my parents I was going going to be a comedian, my mother goes, "Nice, good." And then she got her rosary beads out. And she's like, <laughs> "No benefits. This doesn't pay. This is awful." And, uh, and so now my mother works for me in in my office. Oh, think, cool. Yeah, so it's pretty funny. But um, yeah, she's getting older now. She's like seventy three. So I'm sometimes responsible to take her to her doctor's appointments, and she she got a colonoscopy a couple of weeks ago and I had to bring her and uh, have you ever had one of these? Uh, no, I'm getting close to that age where they're going to, they want to start. Yeah. Doing it, so I have never had one either. And for the podcast listener, if you don't know what a colonoscopy is, it's basically they take a camera and they put it up your thigh locker and, uh, they go searching for barnacles and such, you know, there you go. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so I brought my mother in and they're doing like 85 of these a day now, like a Jiffy Lube or something, you know, it might not be a good analogy, but whatever, you know. <laughs> so they just bring you in. It's a curtain buff area. They close the curtain like you're trying on uh, jeans at the Gap or something. And I'm standing there. It's me and my mother and the doctor. And the doctor says, no, Bob, do you want to stay for the procedure? And I was like, what What, what was it? He goes, do you want to stay for the procedure? It's, it's very interesting. I said, yeah, but you know what's not interesting is watching my mother disrobe while you put a Kodak in her rear end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'll be in my pickup truck driving as fast as I can going, la, 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 <laughs> trying to get that out of my mind. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, in, I'm, I'm kind of in charge of her. And my sister works for me as well, and she's uh, nothing short of completely interesting. She's, uh, she's, uh, she's, I'd bring her into a bar fight at any moment. She's wild. So it's, uh, <laughs> my whole family's crazy. My my uncle, uh, who's five foot three, he weighs three hundred and eighty one pounds, was at my house uh, during Easter weekend, and he was frying bacon, uh, you know, in his underwear, in his boxer shorts, basically taunting God, <laughs> and uh, he had a heart attack, and so he's down on the ground, and my cousin came around the corner. He's dumber than a bucket of hair. And my cousin's like, what's, he, what's Uncle Arthur doing? And I'm like, well, he's not breakdancing. <laughs> and he's like, I'm having a heart attack. Call the ambulance. So my cousin picks the phone up and he goes, he calls 911. He goes, Uncle Arthur's having a heart attack. And then he hangs up. He goes, well, <laughs> call him back and tell him where we are, you idiot. So he calls back and he goes, we're in the kitchen. Then he hangs up again. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> These are the people I had to deal with. So. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's a good source for material sometimes. I was going to you know? say, yeah, a lot of times when, when you have a, a funny family like that, it uh, can come in very handy. Um, so, uh, of course, do, uh, 
to uh, and I know you'd mentioned this uh, before as well. Uh, Dad had no idea there was a singer that, with the same name he bestowed upon you. Yeah, yeah, he had no idea, and and no that who Bob Miley was or whatever. And recently, we just went to um, Jamaica. My wife and I went in January, yeah. and I, I made it a point never to do jokes about Bob Miley in my act. But you know, when you go to Jamaica, I went to an all-inclusive resort, and um, you, you when you go out to dinner, you have to give him your name. So, uh, so I, you know, first you give him your room number. So he's like room number, and I'm like five two eight one. He goes, and I'm like, Bob Marley. And he's like, no. And then he looks at the screen and be like, it is Bob Marley. And I start laughing. And then he goes, and then of course they want to smoke marijuana with you. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I don't smoke pot. And he, I'm like thinking, good thing my name wasn't Cass Elliot to be giving me ham sandwiches. <laughs> Man. <laughs> but um, yeah, it is. It's just a coincidence. It's pretty funny. Yeah, and does it uh, cause you any uh, problems in in the states or anything like that? People that think they're going to see one of Marley's kids doing comedy, or that? Oh no, no. Occasionally, I'll get a, a, a you know an email or a Facebook message from like an angry Rasta, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, well, it's not like I'm benefiting from my name being Bob Marley, you know. And if anything, it's a detriment because you know it's confusing, um, and I don't really base my act about my name, but but. Um, I kept it at this point because I'm a junior and it was my dad's name. And so, you know, and now everybody knows me of that. So I kind of have to keep it. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, it, when you were doing the, the college thing and, and uh, running around filling candy machines, did that give you a lot of time to write jokes and we were kind of starting to more concentrate on comedy then? Or was it just kind of a sudden well, thing where you said, I'm just, you know. I, I, I tried it my junior year and uh, they had like a um, – talent contest thing and it went really well uh, in the spring of my junior year so that that summer I went back to Portland because uh, I went went to school kind of up near the Canadian border and then so I went back to Portland uh, Maine and I did open mics all summer at like bars and stuff just these you know basically standing on a bar just these awful situations and and so I just kept working all working away at it and then when I went back to college that year um, I, I think that defining moment was our student loans hadn't come in and I was with my, my girlfriend, my wife now. And she's like, we owe $752 in bills. And I was like, Oh, okay. I said, well, the loans are coming. She's like, I don't know when I'm like, okay. And literally the phone rang like 10 minutes later. This guy goes, uh, is Bob Marley there? I go, yeah. He goes, are you a comedian? And I go, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) He goes, well, it was a different college in Maine. They go, well, we're up at the University of Maine in Orono, and they go, we need a comedian tomorrow. And I, Could you do it? And I go, yeah. They go, how much do you charge? And I was like, I charge $752. <laughs> so at that moment, I realized, oh, this could be a job. You know, I could actually do this as a job. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it's always been uh, pretty good to me like that, you know. Yeah. Well, how long had you been doing comedy uh, at that point? Oh boy, probably like six months. Okay, so you had like something what, like that. So you had a, a a solid ten, twenty. What? I probably had a solid two. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I could, I was comfortable, so I could stand and recite, and and I kind of got through it. You know, I probably did like a half hour for them or something. Okay. You know, but it, I'm sure it wasn't great by any means. But but um, you know, you never know how much time you have as a comedian and on stage until you move to a place like Los Angeles. The first, uh, like, two weeks I was in Los Angeles, I remember 
sitting in the back of the lap factory thinking, because at that point I was, in, I had been doing it four years. So I remember sitting in the back of the lap factory and watching all these incredible comedians go up night after night. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, I have an hour. And then, you know, two nights later, I'm like, I think I have about 45 minutes. And then at the end of the first two weeks, I concluded that I might have had a good 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, people say, oh, you think you have uh, all this material, and then you go out and see you know, a bunch of other people, and you think, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, because they're so solid, and you just, you're just you thinking, oh, my God, I only have like 10 minutes of bits that can hold up to that, you know? But, but um, yeah, so that takes a while to get to, to learn. And then, you know, now at this point, now I've, I've been doing it so long and I just, you know, I know my voice on stage and I, it's easy for me to write. So, um, anytime I see, you know, something, I, I kind of know what my line would be on it, you know? Yeah. So. And, and being more of a storyteller, you probably have a little more room to wiggle and, you know, add things here and there and, and move things around where like, if you're telling these jokey jokes, you know, you've got a setup and a punchline and maybe you come up with a, another tag or two down the road, but you know, yeah, that's why people don't realize. I mean, people look at guys like Bill Cosby and, you know, who's incredible, and they say, oh, my God, he's amazing, which he is, but he has, like, you know, 10-minute stories. Yeah. And there's a through line to it. And then you look at a guy like Rodney Dangerfield, who used to do, like, you know, I don't even know, probably between 600 and 800 jokes in a 45-minute set. Oh, yeah. And there's not a lot of connective tissue right. with a guy like him, you know, because it's just, He's just hammering, yep. hammering. Yeah, loosely you know? strung together a couple of jokes about his doctor Vinnie Boombats, and then you know maybe about how his wife doesn't like him. But they're yeah, but you're right. It's yeah, just, you know. Yes, I mean they're, they're categorized. You're right. They are categorized, but it's not. It's not like he. It's categorical, and then he's doing 25 minutes in that category. Right. He's jumping all around, and I'm like, you know, I saw him obviously a lot, and I was like, I was watching him go. I don't even know how they're connecting in his mind. You know, yeah, because I am a storyteller, so I don't have that gene uh, the one-liners and stuff. It's more framed out in story form, but um, yeah. So, and then you got guys like everybody's uh, kind of different. That's why when you see, uh, you know, a guy like Atel or yeah. like Louis C.K. and those guys are, are brilliant at convincing you that their point of view is correct for the amount of time that they're up there. Right. Like those guys would be great lawyers. I think most comedians would be great lawyers because they're. they're they're good at, uh, you know, playing the case. Yeah, and then you got guys like you know Jim Gaffigan and Gary Goldman who will take uh, just a topic and not so much do a story about it, but just kind of beat every you know uh, possible punchline they can out of it. Uh, you know, and then, yeah, and then yeah. move on. Yeah. Well, Seinfeld was like that too. Seinfeld oh, yeah, really yeah. is like the Eric Clapton of comedy. He's like so technically perfect. Yeah. You know, there's no fat in the joke. There's not. There's no. There's no. Um, it, it, it's just, it's just perfect. I mean, you know, if you were to, you know, tear it apart technically, a bunch of comedians would be like, well, I don't see any problem with it. You know, he's, he's so good. Um, yeah. And every, every guy works in a different way, but I do like to tell stories. And, um, and obviously there's like tons of punchlines in the stories. So I, I learned that in Boston, you know, like, you know, there's got to be a laugh every 15, 20 seconds or sure. else, it's not going the way you want. And showing up when you get on TV, that's what the Tonight Show tells you. Yeah, exactly. They want to laugh immediately, and then they want to laugh every 15, every 20 seconds. Yeah. 
Well, we have a guy here, uh, Jeff Tate, who's more of the storytelling kind, and he uh, had his uh, set on Ferguson uh, about a year and a half ago, and it, really not built for a Ferguson set, so he had to go through and, and, and uh, you know, his mutual friend Jimmy Dore and a couple other guys helped yeah. him out to distill out some jokey jokes from his stories that he could tell so he could put them into a five-minute set, and it worked out really well for him. But yeah, but for folks like you and Jeff and all those guys, it's got to be really hard to come up with that a tight five. And some guys I've heard, they say, well, I'll just pick one story, and I'll go on with it, and if it goes, it goes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, pretty yeah I've, I've never done that before. I do have a couple bits right now that I w- I'd love to try to do that with. Um, but like you said, if they don't bite at it, it's going to be a long four mm-hmm. and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, if they're not into that one bit, but like I just did, I did Jimmy Fallon like I don't know a year ago or whatever it was, and and uh, um, you know, I I, pro- I I probably did. I probably had like three or four quick lines up front or, you know, something that might amount to about two minutes. And then I did kind of have a two and a half minute story at the end. So, um, so I think you could do a little bit of both, but you definitely, you know, it, it, it when you walk out on, on TV shows, it's like, you definitely have that, the audience connection, like the first 10, 15 seconds, they made their mind up. So I'm curious, what do you do when you come up with something that, you know, it is funny but maybe not necessarily uh, fits for your act or, you know, isn't in your voice? Do you try to, like, hammer it or shape it into your voice, or do you just do something else with it and follow the angle, well, maybe I'll use this, you know, down the road in a writing project or something like that? Uh, well, you know, I can always make it work somehow in, in, in my set, you know. Um, but if, if I don't think, think it's strong enough, yeah, I might, uh, I'll either just try to punch it up or I'll try to, fit in pieces later on, you know, um, maybe in other bits or whatever, or, um, and some bits are great for, uh, you know, the radio, but they're not going to be great for a nightclub or they're great for TV, but you know, for whatever reason, I try to write really clean now, not really clean, but you know, I don't, I don't drop the F bomb anymore. I haven't done that for, and, and, and so it's most of the stuff I write. I, I try to be able. I want to be able to do it on the, like the Tonight Show or yeah, or on the radio or something like that. Just because it's it, you know the cleaner you are, the easier it is to get work. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's that's um, true. That's the way it is. But it but it is so subjective. I mean, if you're dirty and you're really really funny, you did have a great audience as well. But for me, I just it didn't. It, it, it I, you know I wasn't I wasn't one of my to be a dirtier guy. So I was like. Okay. I'll just go this way, but this way you can find a piece to fit in your act, you know? Yeah. Well, all right, man. Uh, sounds like things are going well for you anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pumped to go to uh, Minneapolis. should be a good time first week in June. Um, I'll Facebook and Twitter at Bob Miley Comedy. Okay. And uh, it's bmiley.com is my website. So for tickets and information, check out there and, Thanks so much for doing this, man. No problem. We'll link to all that stuff from our Podbean page as well, and hopefully we'll get you down here in Cincinnati again sometime soon, either yeah, to man. the Funny Bone or the Go Bananas. And uh, All right, man. We'll get talking to you. All right. Thanks again. All right, thanks, well. All right. Bye-bye.
Thanks again to Bob Marley for being on the show. You can catch Bob May 29th through June 1st at the Comic Strip in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And then Bob is at the House of Comedy in Minneapolis. That is Thursday, June 5th through Sunday, June 8th. For all things Bob Marley, go to bmarley.com, because if you go to bobmarley.com, well, you'll find just what you're expecting to find. But uh, bmarley.com for comedian Bob Marley, very funny guy. Uh, Do check him out. All right, so um, I'm going to be in the Funniest Person in Cincinnati contest. Tuesday, June 3rd, usually the uh, open mic slash funniest person in Cincinnati contest is held on Wednesdays, but they had uh, such an outpouring of entries that they have to run uh, the first round on Tuesdays and Wednesdays for the first uh, couple of weeks. And um, I'll give you my opener, if, if you like, because most of you probably won't be there because you're listening around the world or across the country. But uh, I am the Cincinnati Bengals of this competition, uh, one and done every year. So hopefully hoping to keep that streak alive. But if you're in Cincinnati or Southwest Ohio and you're, you're looking for something to do on a Tuesday night, the uh, show starts at 8, be there at 7, say you're there to see me, and then please vote for me because uh, it's essentially a popularity contest. All right, so um, let me see. What else do we have? The usual credits, of course, uh, like the uh, tape recorder on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, uh, fan girls blog of course we have all that information on the podbean page go to pfradio.podbean.com and uh, you'll find all the notes for the show today uh, let me see what else um oh yeah dan coble designed the logo of course follow him at tiger dactyl uh, dan logan's podcast magic potion is available in itunes music for ps tape recorder composed and performed by doug veropolis and uh uh, uh my <laughs> i screwed that up music for ps tape recorder composed and performed by doug o'connor and john veropolis with a little help from me there it is all right and uh, that is all i have other than to say so long and thanks for listening yeah.